This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the Cabal cast. This is another week of our quarantine edition, as I have clearly trimmed down the quarantine hobo beard. Yeah. Uh, so there was... The topic this week is topical. There was a tweet earlier this week that Saffron Olive sent out about how the reserve list and regulation is bad because Wheel of Fortune is a $200 card. Um, independent of any of that, regulation is a topic that comes up all of the time in this industry. Yep. How it's not regulated, we're all swindlers, we're all crooks, we're all out to get you. That's uh, just not the case. So... This week, we're going to get kind of into the weeds here on why regulation won't happen in magic. Yes. It's hard for a lot of you to hear. This market will never be regulated. Nope. And thus, it will continue to function the way it does. And we're going to explain why. So, uh, we've got it set up as like a Q&A session here. So, Reptar's got some questions that he prepared for me, and we're going to go from there. All right. So, first things first, what is regulation? What does it mean? So basically a regulated market is something that the government or some industry level lobby or group has control of. And what it means is that they can determine prices on things. Mm -hmm. They can determine who can sell. Uh, for example, stockbrokers have to get licensed in order to trade. Yes. So that's a gatekeep of a controlled market. Uh, the government's primary function in any of this is basically to regulate and monitor it. So if any of you are old enough to remember the antitrust lawsuit from Microsoft way back in the day, yep. that was an example of government stepping in and regulating an industry saying, hey, this is bad for the economy. Stop. Mm -hmm. So that's like broad strokes kind of what yep. it means. Okay. Uh, so that's fairly easy to, to understand. Uh, we mentioned against... Uh, Lobbies, interest groups, uh, the government, et cetera, as examples of agencies. Uh, can we get a little more specific on that? Sure. So, you know, some of the biggest ones that everybody knows, obviously, you know, the FDA. They regulate prescription medications, uh, stuff with healthcare. They also control all of the medical IP. There's some discussion if that's good or bad mm -hmm. for innovation, whatever. The important thing is the pharmaceutical industry that they regulate makes $1.2 trillion dollars as of the last like point that the uh, census released that information, and mm -hmm. it was in 2018. It's only grown since then. Okay. Another one, of course, that pretty much everybody knows at this point, after the mortgage collapse and everything else, is the SEC. Not the football conference, although their players are great. Uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Yes. So I mentioned stockbrokers earlier. Those are the guys. So any type of securities, futures, anything like that, mergers, that stuff, that's what they have holdover. Uh, that industry in 2018 accounted for $128 trillion. So another one, and this one was a little bit more nebulous, uh, is the EPA. We okay. all know the EPA. Yeah. They control you know, oil, emissions from cars, inspections, stuff like that. Um, couldn't really find out how much they account for because the EPA oversees so many industries. Mm -hmm. It's not just manufacturing, it's transportation. Uh, it's not just transportation, they also oversee medical and stuff like that, okay, including yeah. power, electricity, all that. So the reason I mention this and how much they make is that by comparison, Hasbro makes $4.7 as a company. As an industry, 
not nearly big enough. No, like it, it's not. This this is chump change. Yeah, you'd have to. Don't care. You would essentially have to lump anybody that would make some kind of collectible, either uh, card or game, together into one much larger industry, and still, then you're probably not going to break. I'd say eight digits if you're lucky. Maybe yeah. with the way uh, sports cards are trending, I forgot the name of the company that makes those ridiculous packs that are thousands of dollars a piece, but if you were to get sports cards behind that, maybe you could look at nine, but you're still functioning at you know 1% yeah. by comparison. Well, well, and the thing is, you look at Hasbro's revenue, that counts all of their action figures, board games, yeah. everything. It's all the entire so, idea. Yeah, there, there's some estimates that say that collectibles only account for $1.5 billion a year. It's never going to happen. No. Sorry, it's not. Yeah, it's just it's too small to warrant putting a kind of regulatory body over. Uh, So within markets that are regulated, you know, you can buy, sell, trade, etc., much like we do here. But there are some things that you cannot do. We touched on them briefly, like monopolies, something else, you know, we can't do. You mentioned Microsoft. Other things. Buyouts are a great example. That's one that everybody is aware of in Magic, especially. Yes, Everybody knows buyouts happen, and they just think it's overall just bad for the health of the game. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that later. Another thing that happens is, of course, insider trading. It can't happen, but, brother. Does in Magic, it, not elsewhere. Are, but yeah, yeah it, it happens in Magic, just not in regulated industries. Insider trading happens all the time at Magic. People at Wizards of the Coast get drinks with friends. Loose lips sink ships. Yes. People talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years ago, before A25 came out, there was an email circulating at GP Indie the day before spoilers started, that said Channel Fireball is spoiling Ensnaring Bridge, Rishid Import, and Imperial Recruiter this week. It, it was an official Watsi email that got out and circulated amongst the vendors. Mm-hmm. Everyone immediately dumped all that stuff to vendors in the room. Yes. I, the, the vendors that didn't know about the email got rid of all, got all of this stuff in, and they thought it was absolutely great. And then on Monday it hit, and they were like, oh, this is why. This is why. Yep. Nope, uh, absolutely true. Uh, em- employees come and go. A lot of uh, people that work there are contract uh, employees, and so when their contracts expire, they are you know terminated, so to speak, and they yeah. might not actually see the fruits of their labor for years, but know what's coming down. Yeah, the pike. You know, there, uh, and that also uh, gets out. We have uh, an an example our, ourselves in Force of Will. I knew. Uh, well in advance that that card was was coming down because the person that had worked on the promotional material taking that Therese Nielsen art and placing placing it on various stands etc knew it was coming and amongst other things they let loose was that but could not tell what product it was in because all they did was create a a bit of that yeah essentially the some of the marketing materials but there was no text they didn't know where they just yeah you know, put that iconic, like, yellow and green together. Uh, so, so that's, you know, we're not regulated. No. Sorry. Uh, so compared to a regulated market, what would be necessary to keep our game moving compared to a market like so, that? I, the thing is, I when you look at models of regulation in the collectible industry... Uh, one of the closest ones is going to be LCGs. Okay. Netrunner was the most widely successful and lasted for all of, what, four or five years uh, at, under Watsi's guidance. Oh, yeah. Isn't uh, it still being made by another company, or do they give it up? So Fantasy Flight still has the license, so they can make Netrunner products. 
Uh, oh, did they pull that when they pulled L5R as well? Yes. Okay. Everything died. Yeah. Doomtown, uh, L5R is a good example. These games just don't prosper under those regulations. And basically what that is is, so in LCGs, you get a deck. Mm -hmm. You buy it, it has one or two of every card for the game in that set. Uh, or if there's two decks, it's, you know, the corporations in the case of Netrunner and the hackers in the other. Uh, LCG standing for a living card game, which doesn't necessarily yeah. live up to what we're going to explain. It doesn't quite make sense, but... Yeah. So the reason that those don't work and the reason that Magic does, in my opinion and the opinions of pretty much any other vendor you talk to, uh, liquidity is important in this game. Mm -hmm. So if you open a box of mystery boosters... And you get two mana crypts out of that because you absolutely hit the god box. Yeah, you hit it. I've got an extra mana crypt. Suddenly, I can sell this and recoup my losses from the box. I can try to free roll this. Yes. I can trade it for other cards I need. It also, you know, on that note, the collectability is really important. Because as a player, as a collector, you feel special when you open that alt art foil liliana and you're like this is a thousand dollars this yes. is amazing yep you get that rush that doesn't exist Ooh. when everything can just be printed into the ground correct um, and, and the lcgs as you explained when you crack that box you're getting exactly that and if you want the rest of the cards you just buy another one of those boxes and you're done there's no you know, gamble to what yeah. you're getting you know everything you're getting expansions included there are no just mystery packs for this stuff and that's, you know, when it comes to this, this is an example of an industry regulation. Mm -hmm. The industry regulating itself dies. So you let the market run it. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons you do that is because competitive play drives this game as much as casual play does. Yes. Even casual players are still in competition. Magic is a zero-sum game. Organized play does not exist in any non-poker card game without a secondary market. Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, Magic. Those are the three biggest ones. Mm -hmm. Large-scale events happen, and they're expensive. Yes. The reason the channel can afford these events is because they charge the vendors $6, a lot of money yeah. Yeah, to just have three tables. When you look at those island booths, they're spending close to $24,000, $25,000 for those now, and that's some people's annual salary. Mm -hmm. So they're there for a weekend to sell cards. That's how channel pays for the event. How do those vendors pay for that? So you have a place where you can go and buy cards. They sell you cards. Without the deregulation of this, if all of these cards are just flat $10, boom, that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. You don't get a million-dollar cash prize for this thing. Nope. You don't get multiple Pro Tour qualifiers that pay out in multiple boxes. It doesn't happen. Correct. Because money, whether you want it or not, is the single most driving force to this game. Mm -hmm. Wizards won't admit it because they can't, because then it's gambling, sure, whatever. But the fact that the market gets to determine the prices on these cards, that when we're designing our case for a modern GP, we can say, great, what's going to be really hot this weekend? Awesome. Everyone is sold out of Verdant Catacombs. We have some. We're going to charge more because they don't have anywhere to go. Yep. Captain That's why this economy survives. Mm -hmm. And if regulation happens, that goes away. Yes. These, uh, these aren't, like, they're collectibles. That's all they are. 
Correct. And, and collectibles have value. And before we move on, this is kind of the discussion. This is... I didn't want to talk about it this weekend on Twitter, but my hand was kind of forced because there was a lot of blathering going on about the reserve list by people who don't understand that more goes into the the idea and the propping up of the of the reserve list than just I can't buy these cards, they're too expensive. Yeah. If you pull the reserve list down, what happened between, you know, uh the dark and Arabian Nights, and then Chronicles and Fourth Edition wasn't just additionally printing cards. Well, I, I checked today; the numbers are available. You, there was an, an estimated five million pr- uh, cards printed for Arabian Nights, uh, less for the Dark. And I'm highlighting those because we have Blood Moon reprinted in Chronicles, and a handful of cards from Arabian Nights reprinted uh, in there or Fourth that were worth money for reasons unknown then that they're not worth now because they're poop, right? We go yeah. from 5 mil with uh, Arabian total, its total card population to 500 million known, 900 million possible just for 4th edition. I couldn't find Chronicles numbers. That is an increase of a card population by 100 fold. Imagine if yeah. they did that with a Modern Master set. If they took Zendikar Fetchlands and in Modern Masters 3 reprinted uh, that entire set with a hundred, a hundred fold popula- card population than what Zendikar had. That's not going from Zendikar to return to Rav. Like those numbers aren't that aren't that big. Like that that is like a nebulous number of cards that are going to be printed in your fetch lands that you had before are worth nothing. People understand that's what happens when you what happens when you lose reserve list. Now you've lost time. That's what that's was part of the discussion. That goes into that. When players lose their time and money, LGSs no longer have the ability to sell cards of any sort because everything the player owns has been devalued. The collectability of the game is gone. The faith-based economy dead, and vendors no longer have a way to to keep cards moving. They can't sell Watsy's product to people because people have just been have lost their ass on yeah. everything. It doesn't matter if they're just an EDH player and they have one guy as cradle. They lost it and everything else in their collection now. It's not one card. It's not just the reserve list. It's everything. It all goes. And it's worth noting, I, you mentioned the LGS there. Everyone who says, yeah, I want my fetch lands to be $10 is missing a key point. If your fetch lands are $10, your LGS fires off events. They either give out packs or store credit. Mm-hmm. If you can't open those packs... To get more than a five ten dollar Verdant Catacombs, are you really going to want to open those packs after your twelfth one? I mean, think of how many bulk rares you open and you just throw them in a box. Mm-hmm. After, let's assume this happens, you get ten dollars out of a Verdant Catacomb. Okay, well, I'm going to charge three four dollars for the pack. I'm going to pay ten dollars to enter, and the best I can hope for, the absolute best I can hope for is a $10 Verdant Catacombs. Are you going to go to that event? I I wouldn't. No. Because at that point, like, I can just hang out at home and do literally anything else with my time. Yes. And I, that's... Then you the just have the that, gathering portion of magic left. Yeah. The LGSs suffer more than anyone else if mm-hmm. this economy goes away. Because the incentive to go to those events is to get the cards that are worth money. 
It is to play the game. It is to have that store credit to use for something. Yes. There's a million other ways you can hang out with friends. The one difference is the financial value here. Yes. So, we talked about, you know, what we need for the, the health of the game. Uh, collectibles as an investment. Yeah. Thoughts? So, absolutely. They're investments. They're great. I, you know, I, for those of you that were alive in the 90s, you remember the baseball card boom and how a McGuire rookie went from a dollar to a hundred dollars to ten cents because he used Andro. It happens. Uh, the big difference is that a security, as the Securities Exchange Act defines it, uh, which is important because this is what defines what can be regulated, is that a security is either ownership or debt ownership. So when you buy stock, everybody knows you're buying a piece of the company. What a lot of people don't know is that when you buy a bond, you are purchasing debt from the federal government. Mm -hmm. You are saying, I will pay for $1,000 of your debt and you will give me interest in a year when you pay it off. So magic at no point, unless something changes very drastically, can ever become that. Because it's, it's not possible. If you own a piece of a card, you don't own a piece of Hasbro. You don't own a piece of Wizards of the Coast. You own a piece of this nebulous collectible entity. Mm -hmm. You don't own any of Hasbro's debt. You're not, oh, well, I'm going to pay your employee for an hour because I bought this pack of cards. That may indirectly be true, but that's not actually what you're doing. Okay. So that's that's one of the most important things. And I think we have the, you know, for those of you that are curious, we'll have the link directly to the, uh, the Securities Exchange Act in the description of the podcast so you can read it and pour over it and ad nauseum digest it. Okay. So, so. That, that's MTG as... Uh, a security but a commodity so uh, no can't can't be a commodity okay the the reason is that commodities are by definition finite so you trade in oil futures you know if you saw a social network they talked about how eduardo swan i know i'm going into the weeds here made his money on soy futures by paying attention to the weather in the middle east that's a commodity that's something that there's a finite supply of okay so that that is basically there's two kinds there's hard and soft hard are your natural resources oil gold soy stuff like that or not soy sorry soy is a soft commodity yeah agriculture corn pork stuff that is consumed that has a finite supply but you can make more the point is, in the soft commodities, once one instance of that is gone, it's never coming back. You eat a pork chop for yep. dinner. That pork chop will never exist again, ever. So right now, the way commodities work is there's like 90 to 100 of them, uh, and they're all part of a larger industry. So like pork, it's part of the agriculture industry. Okay. Oil, part of the automotive industry. Mm -hmm. Gold is part of you name it number of industries true yeah uh it's used in electronics it's used in automobiles like literally everything You're, yeah um but they're also you know traded during via like futures contracts or you have to have a licensed exchange like a stockbroker mm -hmm. or a mutual fund or something like that so that's what a commodity is now a collectible 
only has value based on rarity or demand. Uh, prime example, take a look at beta animate wall. It's just rarity. It's, it's, that's all, that is the only reason it is worth as much as it is. Nobody's playing that card. Nobody wants the play set of animate wall to throw in their old school deck. The card's bad. The art's nice. The art is nice. When you digest it. Yeah. Uh, It's also important that collectibles, they have no centralized market, and most of the transactions are private. So you can't register them either because counterfeiting exists. We all know counterfeits, especially over the last couple of years, have gotten way worse. And you can't counterfeit oil. Better in quality, worse, and meaning more pervasive. More more widespread, yes, sorry. Uh, you you can't counterfeit oil. You can't counterfeit pork. You can make you know impossible burgers, but yeah. it's not pork. Mm-hmm. You literally can't call it pork. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, there's no way for you to register it, or there's no way for perfect information on transactions. There's no centralized exchange. No. The closest thing we have, and it's what everyone goes to, TCG Player. TCG oh. Player is a platform, not an exchange. Okay. There's something like 20,000 individual sellers on there. At no point are you interacting during that transaction with TCG Player directly. Your money, it goes to TCG Player and they hold it. Yeah, they might pull they, the cards, but they're not yeah. the exchange. But the money goes to the seller. Mm. When you have a problem with the issue, you go to the seller. Yep. That's how it works. So that's that's another obstacle to it, is it can't have a central commodity or security market. Yes, okay. That that makes sense. As you were explaining this, my first thought was, well, part of the issue with high-end cards, and you actually saw this across the industry in the mid-2000s before Star City, uh, like my, my flag for this is just when the open started being legacy, yep. was everybody yeah. was trying to uh, barcode their own power so yeah. that it was easy to check in and out of their systems. You could determine what went where, but that mm-hmm. would... But because these cards don't have individual barcodes, you can't track them back up through Watsi. So yeah. what's the next easiest way to do that? You grade it. Yep. Because that puts this kind of individual tag on the card, but there's no centralized market for it, that. You you receive the graded card back, and it just enters the market again, the free market, as a graded and, copy of the card. And we've harped on population count. I don't even know how many times now. You just unslab it. Yep. Send it back in. Correct. So it's not even even if there was one central area, it's not reliable information. Yeah. Because you can just crack it, send it in. There you go. Yeah. So, would there be any way to regulate this kind of stuff? Do you think? Uh, so, yes, there is. Okay. It's never going to happen. The reason it's never going to happen. So first off, you need, uh, you know, a central exchange. Mm-hmm. And what that means is TCG is not a central exchange. If it became Star City and Channel Fireball, and those were your two exchanges, you could only buy cards from Star City and Channel Fireball. Effectively, you know, the NASDAQ and the Dow. Mm-hmm. Those are our two stock exchanges. Those are the two places you can buy. That can happen. That's never going to happen. Nope. Ever. It just won't. Because if you do that, your hobby just tripled in cost. Mm-hmm. Your bulk rares aren't a dollar anymore. They're three dollars if you're lucky. You you can't do it because someone's going to pay three dollars for those. Enough people will pay three dollars that that will survive. Mm-hmm. 
The other thing, and one of the biggest obstacles to this, is that Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast would have to be full transparency with how much money they make, what the print runs are, Mm -hmm. uh, what the distribution patterns are, their entire R&D process, and all of their financials. And don't get me wrong, they do disclose some financials to the SEC. That's how it works. They're a publicly traded company. Yeah, yeah. But their stock is regulated. Their products are not. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, in addition, any of that would have to be audited by a third party under current auditing practices. Okay, okay. And one, anyone who has been new to this industry understands you don't just learn it in a day. It's completely different than anything else. Um, And... They're not... So... Let me back up. Okay. If, if the exchanges happen, those people can't be involved with Wizards of the Coast, which right now is impossible because it's been around for so long. Mm-hmm. You look at Star City, you look at Channel, you go Trode, you look at Wizards of the Coast. Those employees have changed hands so many times at this point. They're all just one blanket. Another reason you can't have it. Okay. And the other thing is that you would need a self-regulating organization that regulates the exchanges and the people issuing cards. So, for example, Channel and Star City. All right, well, they need employees to sell cards. You have to get licensed. Mm -hmm. That means higher cost. Nobody wants to get licensed to sell magic cards. You all, everyone says they do. The licensing process for, like, becoming a stockbroker sucks. It's like the bar exam. Having to do that for trading cards is never going to happen. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's not practical due to cost, because you know, when people look at Magic as a whole, people talk about Black Lotus. They talk about Dual Lands. Uh, they talk about you know Force of Will, Lion's Eye Diamond. They talk about the standard cards that are really popular right now. And Teferi was fifty dollars. You know what you don't talk about? The ninety percent of cards that are worth less than ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Those cards suddenly become more money. Yeah, when you go to those two exchanges, right? When you when you go to fewer exchanges, yeah. because when I sell on TCG, I have twenty thousand other guys there trying to sell uh, Fortified Village. Mm-hmm. I have to price mine to sell. I can't charge twenty dollars for this. I can't. It's never going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But if there's only two places, what are you going to do? Go somewhere else? You literally can't. It's either. You know, whatever exchanges you have. Okay. So. Yeah. No, it, it makes sense. And it's interesting to, to think about in that regard when you just boil it all down and you look at the exchanges that this hobby changes from being this cute yeah. little card game to something, you know, more monstrous, so to speak, yeah. because of that. And more oversight and more overhead means more cost overall. And when you yeah. have to create those regulations and put that governing body over it that needs to do the research and say, this is how things need to be run. This is what your licensing test is going to look like. This is how you have to operate on the inside of things, as well as the security you need to put in place. That's more overhead. That's more expense put onto the customer. Yeah. The, the other thing that I think a lot of people lose sight on is there are, uh, you know, there, there are a few things that I think are objectively good. I love it being an open market. I've gone on record saying that, yeah. that it's great. It can never be anything else. But one of the things that you can do in an open market like this that you cannot in a regulated market is arbitrage. So 
Last year, Volcanic Island hit an all-time high. It was being arbitraged to Japan. Mm-hmm. So people in Japan got a great windfall. They had all these volcanic islands that all of a sudden were cheaper than they'd ever seen them. Uh, you know, Canada, face-to-face yes. when we were at Detroit, hoovering all the volcanics up. Yep. Because when inefficiencies exist in an open market, people are going to find a way to exploit them. And the thing is, ex- that word, exploitation, has such a negative connotation. But think about when old school happened in the States. There were a lot of those cards that were up north in Canada, over in Europe, over in Asia, that people started arbitraging into Into, America to satisfy their client base. If we become regulated, that doesn't happen anymore. Those transactions are delayed, as it is now. Granted, Haruria has stopped shipping to the U.S. because of COVID. Mm -hmm. But you could order from Haruria, and within a week, your package showed up. If we start regulating and things have to go through customs, they have to go through all that, which... They do now, sure, but not under the same scrutiny that, like, oil does, for example. If that happens, all of a sudden that one-week turnaround becomes two to three months. So that arbitrage doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, the prices are gone. Yeah, you can't go when the set first releases and order a foil Japanese mana drain for 200 bucks. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen anymore. And being able to exploit those efficiencies, inefficiencies, is one of the cornerstones of like keeping players collectors happy in this market i think that's the important part and you know i so there's an lgs here where i'm from that i help out a lot and it's like okay what are some cards you need me to pick this pick up this weekend great i'm at a gp i'm going to arbitrage from the buy station to this store Mm -hmm. because they need it yep and you know, we MTG finance bros get a lot of bad rap. Uh, Chokot does a lot of good for his clientele. Uh, I think we do a lot of good for our clientele. I like to think so. Uh, there's there's a lot of good out there, despite the negative reputation, and I think that a lot of times people lose sight of that. Yeah, but it's because it's unregulated that we're able to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's there's always an associated cost with with what you're doing, especially with this hobby, and it's not an easy nut to crack in any regard. It, it, everything you want to talk about in regards to empty finance, finance, it isn't just buying and selling immediately. It yeah. is layers deep, and it is something that takes a bit to understand and really kind of uh, look at and pull apart. You know, One of the things you touched on earlier in this episode and on Twitter is about the place of the LGS and all of this around... Uh, you know, the kind of securities market talking about what we did here in regards to the reserve list and what happened back in the 90s and what could happen again if they do pull down the reserve list. It's yeah. just something that people don't think about because they'd rather be, you know, that angry mob from South Park. Just rabble, 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 rabble. That's it. It's yeah. not an easy nut to crack, and there are a lot of ways things go sideways for a lot of people. And... Uh, for those of you that are curious about the reserve list, I know he's a villain again. He's done a lot of good for the game. Uh, there's actually a link that we'll put up that Dan Bach wrote a very good write up on the reserve list about what it means, how it affects the market and why it exists the way it does. So we'll, we'll have a link for that. Discuss it your own. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Uh, One of the things you're going to hear tossed around, so you will need a definition if you're reading this is primary Estepel, not something I really want to go into, but essentially just a, a word of mouth legally bound contract essentially 
and that's what you're arguing against when you're arguing against the reserve list is like legal text if hasbro could have bulldozed their way through this and just turned the money machine on you know they would have (laughs) but they doubled down instead yeah so it's nice that they're sticking to it but yeah uh anything else you want to attack on before i move to picks no i think i think that was good okay um yeah all right uh i want you to go go first this week on uh on picks you can pull the ire for this one yeah uh (laughs) So on the topic of reserve list expensive cards and regulated markets, Tundra. So if you take a look at MTG stocks, Tundra has been on a gradual downtick for a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen legacy support get pulled. Obviously, you had a huge factor there. Uh, we've seen EDH take off, which has maintained its price a little bit. But blue-white is fringe competitive EDH playable. And not really a popular combination for a lot of casual decks because it's a more controlling style. Mm-hmm. Um, which, for whatever reason, I don't know a lot of people that like control in EDH. At any rate, uh, its all-time low was $106. We're never getting there again. It's down to about 200 low right now. The reason I pick this is twofold. One, uh, Legacy has, I don't know if anyone's been on Moto, been doing insane on Moto. Leagues are firing off like never before. Uh, challenges are seeing absurd attendance. It's just taking off because Legacy probably has the most dedicated player base and that's the only way they can play it. So the reason I mentioned that is recently there's been this Jeskai list using Lurus who will inevitably get banned because Companion is a toxic mechanic uh, that has been steamrolling. Five O's, five O's, five O's, won the challenge last weekend. Uh, And it's literally, its creature base is Delver. Some builds are running Lava Mancer out of the board. Okay. And Method Mage. And Boris. That's it. Other than that, it's one mana cantrips. You got bolts, chain lightnings, everything you need. Swords to plowshares. You got Force of Will, sure. Okay, okay. But... It's been doing really well, and I think that before too long, Wizards is going to come to the conclusion that, hey, you know what? We did this before. We saw what happened. We canned Legacy, and we denied ourselves one of our most passionate fan bases. Oh, guess Legacy's coming back, guys. And you know what deck used to be pretty good in Paper Legacy before Oko and everything else? Jeskai Delver? Miracles. Jeskai Delver and Miracles. There it is, Miracles, okay. I think I'm, both of the miracles, especially. I, I I'm just a homer for Stoneforge Mystic and Delver. Like you have my it's heart. So good. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's it's a good deck, and I think that when Paper Legacy becomes supported again, which it inevitably will, mm-hmm. that's going to be one of the decks that takes off first. You're going to see a Jeskai, a Miracle, something like that pop up. That all of a sudden, boom! That's the meta. Yep. And at that point, two hundred dollars for a decent Tundra is going to be real affordable. Yeah. So again, like some of my picks, not the easiest to get into financially. Uh, but if you can even snag one or two from a trade binder somewhere worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I found the list that you pulled up. You are missing one creature, a one of, Oh, what was it? Lavinia, Azoria, oh. Renegade, buddy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Which was also one of your picks. Yeah. 
F you and your zeros. Yep. <laughs> it's it's just it's a good deck. I, I've played Dude. against it. I've played with it. It's not my play style, but that deck is fun. It is. It has one plateau. That is probably yep. the most surprising surprising part. No blue red deck or sorry, uh, red white deck ever uses plateau. So that yep. I like the deck. It looks good. I I can I understand why this is doing really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty dope. Now, I was curious about Tundra. I didn't want to ask any questions. I was like, this is going to be interesting. We'll see what happens here. And uh, I didn't know that this deck had really cropped up. I hadn't been paying attention to Legacies because my playgroup up here is kind of, you know, fallen by the wayside. We can't get together, and I think only two of the members have Moto at yeah. all. So it's just, like, kind of dead. Then Guy Ruda happened, and that, I think, actually killed our chat was Guy Ruda. Just like, yeah. no, not doing this until they figure something out. But, no, I like Tundra. And the idea of getting into any kind of dual land at a low point, it doesn't have to be the lowest. It can just be a trough in yeah. price. It's never a bad idea. It's always going to be a decent return yeah. in time. But that's the key. It's going to be a return in time. So yeah. I talked about this on the Quick Hits episode today. It's like, you have a sunk cost on this. And you can churn that money multiple times over if you're looking to make profit on it. But if you're just looking mm -hmm. for a card that you need to play and you have the the ability to pick up a Tundra and you have places to utilize it, not only can you actually get use out of it, but you should be able to turn that around and either break even or come out ahead in years down the road as long as you don't destroy the card. Yeah. So I, I like it and I think this is just kind of a good example of yet another time where you can get in on a reserveless card at an appropriate period of time and feel good about it. You know, you don't yeah. have to worry. I mean, if you're the if financially sure you can work, but yeah, for in the uh, the near term. All right, I'm gonna swing the other way with this one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with an EDH card, and it is Blasphemous Act. So I'm gonna Solid. yeah, I I like this card. It's goofy. Uh, it's surprisingly good in edh i never included in any of my red decks and apparently i'm in the minority so but there's that for you uh but i chose innistrad specifically uh over any of the reprints because while they all all hold value innistrad's the uh original and there does exist the chance that it has the least population because the uh 2016 and 2018 commanders were printed decent amounts i think 2014 is the true name nemesis year so that's a little squirrely and i don't yeah. know what deck this was in from that everything does rebound whenever it gets reprinted so much like my pick last week you don't have to worry about it that much if it gets reprinted we'll see it uptick the nice yeah. thing about blasphemous act is that it is an under the radar card and just continues to tick up in price between when i chose this card uh, late last week and now it actually has picked up a little bit of value not much about 20 cents uh on the dollar according to market yeah. and when i was looking at uh, blasphemous act card kingdom was buying 20 from in uh from innistrad at uh cents, three dollars 25 in cash and that was not an immediate flip that was about a dollar 60 difference between the Pretty two good. but yeah but they are still still buying the price holds strong and they're actually buying more now so there is demand for this card the the reason I, I like this is that it did rebound rather quickly after the Commander 16, Commander 18 printing, so we know it has a solid price. If you check 
under on EDH rec. I'll see if I can if I have this uh, under cards. Cards top cards by color red. I'm doing this all live. Blasphemous act right here number two. It's in 24% of the 157,000 decks that it can be in. 37,000 decks contain this card. People play this card. It goes in everything that plays red because it's eminently splashable and it's a board wipe. This thing houses. It trucks. Right? Uh, it also interacts fairly favorably with uh, dies triggers. Yeah. Uh, Furnace of Wrath effects. And cards like uh, Repercussion or Boros Reckoner that deal damage back to a creature's controller. In the case of Repercussion, Boros Reckoner just deals the damage back out to somebody. So when you cast Blasphemous Act, your Boros Reckoner takes 13, and then you just blap another player for 13. Yeah. So it, go yeah, it goofy combos. Right? Yeah. So it has competitive appeal, so to speak, because it casts for cheap, thanks to the CMC reduction, and only costs one red. And then it does goofy big things with, like I said, Furnace of Wrath, Repercussion, Dictate of the Twin Gods, Boros Reckoner, all these other cards. And yeah. it's just not going anywhere. Ever. They keep reprinting this card. It, I guess every two years is what it seems like. 14, yeah. 16, 18, right? We'll get one should have got one this year. Didn't. Maybe Probably. it'll come in 2021. We may. Yeah. Who knows? But we have between now and then for this card to just continue ticking up in value. It's going to take a standard reprint to really kind of knock this down. And between now and then, you can probably expect this to become an 8 to $10 card over the next couple of years. Yeah. It should be easy, uh, easy to pick up from trade binders for anybody that was playing at that time or anybody that plays Commander. There's some people that just don't like sweeping the board or dealing damage like this. Easy yeah. pickups, easy flips. That's the name of the game here. And with a buy price that, while there is a bit of a discrepancy, uh, does show that there is demand driven by the card, there is a chance that you can actually out these to buy lists in short order as copies disappear from the internet because this was not in the newest commander set. And as you can see, it is very popular. I, it's also interesting to me, like, looking at all of this, the all of these reprints, there's only, I believe, the one foil printing, right? And a stride foil? Uh, yeah. Only one, because the other... The only time it could have been reprinted in foil was if they wanted to do it oddly in the anthology. But the yeah. And the foil's only about $10. Mm -hmm. That seems real low. Yes. Uh, so there's an opportunity there, even if you decide not to get on the non-foil because you're afraid of a commander reprint. The foil seem... $9 is ridiculous. Yeah. I didn't realize it was played in that many decks, but that's obscene to me. Yep. Uh, at same, uh, I understand why Chaos Warp is number one because red can't kill enchantments. Yeah. So you got to play the the only card that lets you do it. After yeah. that, the only red card that's castable in every deck for one red, and wipes the board is this. Yeah. Yep. So. Huh. Yeah, it, a cute little pick. I actually thought like forever this card was two dollars, and I just had it stuck in my mind, and I just put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off, and then I. I checked in one day and I was like, oh, okay, pump the brakes here. Well, yeah. But like I said, it flies under the radar. Not, you know, How often do people bring Blasphemous Axe out to sell to a vendor? Probably not that often. They probably just picked up in collections, generally speaking, from EDH. Full disclosure, I always buy them at a quarter, but I didn't know they were that high on the list. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, no. If somebody were to come to me at an event and I had not checked this page, my mental state is this card is always worth $2.00. Thus, because I've got a resale on TCG player, I have a price in mind for that kind of thing. 
for a two dollar yeah. card it is exactly that it's got to be somewhere between you know 25 and 75 cents otherwise i lose my ass in fees yep pretty much now i am burdened with the glorious knowledge that this card is five dollars and i have to pay more oops <laughs> but again like Despite the fact that I do buy EDH collections all the time and this just gets always got lumped in with the other stuff, nobody ever pointed it out as a card that, was, that had value. People don't bring me this card when they sell me EDH cards or when they come to sell me stuff. Yeah, I, it's just... Huh. Yeah, this is super solid for sure. Yeah. I, like I said, I like it because it's my pick. Everybody loves their own brand, right? And I think yeah. you ha you, you've got a couple of months before this goes like somewhere north of five because as i mentioned this is a steady climber without a reprint this year demand is there if you need yeah. them get them now yeah but oh good yeah but i think that's it for us this week yeah you get to button up yeah let's button it up all right all right we are at mtg cabalcast on twitter patreon and facebook on twitter i can be found at halt i am reptar you can be found at at Thirsty Sizzler. And if you are watching this on YouTube, please leave us a comment. We don't care about the like or subscribe. We just want to know if we're doing right by you. Yep. That's all we care about. See you next week. Deuces.